Well, I'd like to tag my text today in our exchange as the blessing comes through confession and forgiveness. If I can talk from the thought of blessing comes through confession and forgiveness. Way before this legendary R&B singer and performer made his classic fourth studio album that sold over 20 million copies worldwide. Now, I know some of you may not know what that really means or what that entails, but back in the day, can't believe I'm actually saying that, back in the day, instead of streaming music on Apple Music and, and, and Spotify, there was a time where you actually had to get off your couch, get into a car, drive to the store, a record store, and actually purchase what they call a CD. Now, again, some of you don't know what a CD is, so I have a visual illustration. This is a CD, compact disc. And as a CD, you put it into this little stereo, and then it plays. I know, it sounds very weird and strange, but this is a historical artifact. This particular R&B singer sold 20 million of those worldwide. In today's culture, it's hard to kind of put a number on what that would equivalent, what that would equal to for streams, but it's just an infinite amount of streams. The singer that I'm talking about, Usher, and he made an album called Confessions. I believe. Usher probably should have stopped making music after this album because this was a really good album and he couldn't top it after that. Um, he made some other albums and some other songs, but this one right here was classic. Usher made an album called Confessions. Well, way before Usher, there was another person and he was famous as well for his art. He wasn't a singer or anything like that. He was a North African church father, and he's considered one of the most prominent theologians of all time. He has a literary corpus that is unmatched, and he has sermons that are still read today. His name is St. Augustine. His name is St. Augustine and my image is gone. One of his famous writings that he shares name, it bears the same name as Usher's legendary album, you guessed it, Confessions. There it is, a man Augustine. In his autobiography that essentially reads like a prayer to God, he exposes himself in a real, honest, and authentic way. He confesses to the Lord his inner secrets, his inner thoughts, his inner struggles. My man, Saint Augustine. Way before Usher and way before Saint Augustine, there was a man by the name of Prince. I mean, 
That was for you, Raquel. I mean, King David. There was a man named King David that wrote Psalm 32. And he picks up on this same motif, this same theme, this same spiritual practice of confession. Psalm 32 is the second of the penitential psalms, which means it shows that someone is, is sorry. There's some type of repentance. There's some type of acknowledgement of wrongdoing in some type of way. The other psalms that bear this same category are psalms like Psalm 6, Psalm 38, Psalm 51. We all know about Psalm 51. That's David's psalm of repentance. It's in that same category of penitential psalms. Psalm 102, Psalm 130, and Psalm 143. Interestingly enough, this psalm was St. Augustine's favorite psalm. This was the psalm that he inscribed on the wall next to his bed before he died in order to meditate on it better. He liked it because he said the beginning of knowledge is to know one is a sinner. In other words, there's some type of acknowledgement of this. The Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology defines confession as the biblical concepts expressed by the words confess and confession have in common. The idea of acknowledgement of something, more specifically, the acknowledgement of our sin before a great God and King of the universe. So as we come to our text this morning, Roosevelt, I want to say King David is well qualified to talk about confession. Because if you look into his life, you'll notice that he's not only a big sinner, but he's also a big confessor. Our text is tailored to teach us this morning that when we humbly pray to God and acknowledge our sin before him, he does not count our sin against us. When we humbly pray and acknowledge our sin before God, he does not count our sin against us. Verses 1 and 2 starts with blessings on blessings on blessings. Last week, we talked about the idea of how the psalmist talked about and articulated that the people of God are blessed or they are happy. When they meditate on God's word, God's law, God's Torah, day and night. And this is a rhythm of frequent interaction with the word of God. The psalmist says, you're happy. In this passage, he also says that you're happy and you're blessed, but this time when your transgressions are forgiven. Transgression is another way of saying wrongdoing or not doing what is right. In fact, there are three Hebrew words in this Hebrew parallelism that represents missing the mark of God's standard. The three words are sin, iniquity, and transgression. But the good thing in this verse 
transgressions are forgiven. This communicates the idea of something being lifted off. Uh, Think of something that is holding you back. Think of something that's holding you down. Think of something that has you stuck in the quicksand of life. This idea of being forgiven is saying that there's a weight that is lifted off of you. When people have wrongdoing, there's a sense of guilt that brings them down and holds them back. Guilt is an emotional discomfort you feel when you believe that you were responsible for something that offended somebody or hurt somebody. We all experience guilt to some level. There's different spectrums of guilt, if you will. I want to share one spectrum of guilt in my life that I experience. If you don't know, there are laws in Arizona that people break every day. And I remember when I was driving over in Paradise Valley. Oh, yeah. I was coming from a lunch meeting, and I was trying my best to get to my next destination in a timely manner. For those that may not know, running a red light indeed is against the law. Now, I know some of you, this may seem basic, this may seem easy, uh, but seriously, it is against the law. You can get fined, you can get points on your license, then you have to take a class. You can even, unfortunately, put people's life at danger yours or others. So as I was driving, I I thought, oh, I can easily make this light. Now, I was pretty far away, and the light was yellow. But in my mind, I was like, oh, this is easy. I can get there. So I put my foot on the gas, and as I put my foot on the gas, before I even get into the intersection, the light turns red. Now, I'm going so fast that I can't slow down. I can't stop. So what do I do? I just keep on cruising by. And I ran a red light. Praise God, nobody got hurt. Nobody got injured. But in PV, Paradise Valley, they got these things called cameras. Amen, amen. And these things called cameras, they kind of like watch you, you know, and You can't really get out of it because they literally have you on the, yeah, yeah, yeah. But in that moment, I did feel a level of guilt. I did feel a level of guilt. I felt bad that I ran the red light. And that feeling that I felt, you feel the same way because y'all run red lights too. Don't leave me hanging out here. But that level, of, uh, that, that feeling that we have is, is some type of wrongdoing that the psalmist is, com- is, 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 is communicating. This wrongdoing, this transgression, this sin, this breaking the law of some sort, this is what David is communicating in Psalm 32. Now, God's law is even higher than running a red light. 
His law is supreme. And the truth of the matter is we can all resonate with David. Why? Because we are all sinners. We all break God's law every day. And if I can add, sometimes we don't confess. Sometimes we hold it in. Sometimes we hide. Sometimes we conceal our sin. Now, you may be here and you may be thinking that, well, running a red light, okay, is it really that big of a deal? Okay, maybe it's not as serious as a sin like that, but I would ask you, what about the more serious ones? What about the ones that only you and God knows about? You can fill in the blank. I'm not God, so I don't know everyone's story. But what I'm trying to say is we all have some type of sin that we are ashamed about, that we feel guilty about, that's holding us down, and we need to be released. We need to be lifted off. We need to be happy and blessed. And the Bible says, blessed is the one whose sin is forgiven. Amen? But why do we do this? Why do we conceal? Why do we hide our sin? Well, I think verses 3 and 4 explains what happens when we don't do this, when we don't confess. And I'm saying that there is the effect of not confessing. The effect of not confessing. When you don't confess, when we don't confess, there is something that happens to us internally that haunts us. Verse 3 says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning day and night or all day long. Now, I told you David is the writer of this psalm, and David has quite a history, a long history, an unsettling and tragic history. And what's interesting is this man, I was talking with Cherie earlier before the sermon, and we had a conversation about David being a man after God's own heart, which is interesting despite all of the sin that he brought upon himself and he brought upon others. In fact, Pastor V, he talked about him in a recent sermon, and um, shameless plug, if you're not on our RCC Instagram page, you should do that because we got sermon clips that kind of come out, and on one of the sermon clips I saw, he talked about King David, and this is what he said about, about David. He said that he was violent, he was willing to kill people, he cheats, he deceives people, he's a polygamist, he takes another man's wife, and he conspires to get him killed. He said all of that in Pastor V's fashion. I can't say it quite like him. But as he describes David, this is what he says. The list can go on and on with this brother David here. And as I said, David is the writer of Psalm, and so he knows all about sin. He knows all about his sin. In fact, he knows all about the sin 
that he hid. The text says, my bones wasted away when I was silent. In other words, unconfessed sin deteriorates. Uh, It destroys, it erodes our bodies. When you think of the... uh, when you think of our bodies, bones provide the, the, the framework or the structure of our bodies and our delicate internal organs. There are about 206 bones within our bodies, you know, things like the skull, things like the, the, the spine, things like the ribs and arms and stuff like that. Bones are made up of connective tissue that hold together. I say that to say uh, there's a medical condition called osteoporosis in which the bones become brittle. They become fragile from loss of tissue. Sometimes it can happen because of, as a result of uh, hormonal changes or just a deficiency within calcium and vitamin D. If those bones are not healthy, then people will suffer from this medical condition. Spiritually speaking, David is saying when he was silent about his wrongdoing, when he was mute about his transgressions, when he did not want to confess his sin and iniquity before God, he internally suffered from the condition of spiritual osteoporosis. His bones were brittle and easily broken. His bones wasted away. This is the feeling when a person is shackled up by their own guilt over sin. And if we want to be honest, Roosevelt, we all have been there. We all have experienced this level of filling our bodies, filling our bones, being wasted away. Internally, it is killing us inside. You ever heard that phrase? It's killing me inside. That is the language that the psalmist David is referring to. We all have been there. We all are in the same boat And not only our bones are wasted away, but we can also say to the point where we can actually feel God's heavy hand on us because of the burden of our guilt over our iniquities. He says this, verse 4, for day and night your hand was upon me. Have you ever felt the Lord's mighty strong right hand upon you in your heart, if you have, that's called conviction. And that's what the Bible communicates when we think about this idea of being burdened by our guilt. It's convicting us to our core because of unconfessed sin. And even though all of this is true, I just want to say there still is hope. Uh, we don't have to stay in the place that we are in. We don't have to stay bogged down by sin or, or, or guilt. We don't have to stay in a life of unconfessed sin. 
we have hope. We have biblical hope. We don't have to stay in the quicksand over our sin because we can have an approach that is humble before God. And I think verses 5 and 7 communicates this idea that there's a humble approach that we can have as we acknowledge our sin before God Almighty. Amen? Verse 5 is the longest verse in this psalm, and it says, <laughs> I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquities. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. This is the longest verse in this psalm, and it gets to the heart of this text when we humbly Pray to God and acknowledge our sin before him. God does not count our sin against us. And that is good news for anyone here struggling with any type of unconfessed sin. Thinking that the Lord will not use you. Thinking that the Lord will not forgive you. The text says, if you notice, that there is immediate forgiveness. So, when you cry out to the Lord... And you can do that today. And if you're genuine from the heart, you can ask God for forgiveness. And he will forgive you. I can say that with boldness and, and confidence because my Bible and your Bible reads, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believed in him should not perish but have eternal life. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess, there it is, if we confess, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I can come, you can come, we can come boldly to the throne of grace, knowing we will be cleansed, knowing we will be forgiven, knowing that we will be washed away from all of our iniquities if we genuinely confess our sin before God. And that's why the psalmist says, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. Amen? As a spiritual practice, we should confess our sin before God. Why? Well, here's a couple reasons. One, because he is omniscient, which means he knows everything. Everything that there is to know about whatever, God knows it. So in one sense, when we are confessing our sin to God, we're just telling him what he already knows. That's one reason why we should confess our sin. Second reason is because he wants us to be truth tellers and honest with him. He wants us to be truth tellers and honest with him. It's kind of like um, a parent and a child, right? So think about, let's say the child does something that the child is not supposed to do. And the parent actually sees what the child has done, and they're having a conversation, they're trying to talk it out, and their parent says, okay, explain to me what you did. Whoa, 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 whoa. But before you talk, I want you to know, 
I saw what you did. Amen, amen. Okay, a couple people know that story. What's happening there? Well, the parent wants the child to be honest with what the child has done. And I think similarly, in, in some type of fashion, I think God wants us to be truthful and be honest with him. And thirdly, because we will be happy, <laughs> we will be blessed, we will be relieved, and the weight of guilt will be done away with, and we will ultimately be forgiven by God. Blessings come through confession and forgiveness. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer. The humble approach is to be in submission to God, to pray to him, to cry out to him. No one here is saying that we have it together, all together. No one is saying that you have arrived, we have arrived. In fact, we drop the ball all the time. But the good thing about God is he's a loving and caring and forgiving God. And that gives us hope that even when we fail, even when we mess up, even when we drop the ball, he is still there <laughs> with his arms wide open saying, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. This is the welcoming nature of God that is comforting to the soul. When we humbly and pray to God and acknowledge our sin before him, he does not count our sin against us. Now, that doesn't mean we should just go out and sin because God is a forgiving God. I think that's the wrong way to look at it, all right? Paul says in Romans, there's grace. He says something like, by no means you should sin, something like that. Right? But God's grace is still sufficient and God's grace is there. Indeed, blessings come through confession and forgiveness. As I come to a close, I want to share a story. This is a biblical story, which is the picture of what we actually do sometimes. And you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, you'll see that Adam and Eve is there. And Adam and Eve is there, and they're enjoying life and stuff like that. Then this weird creature comes in and casts doubt on God's word to Eve. Adam was there and allowed it to happen. And essentially, they disobey God. They broke God's law. And when that happened, death occurred. Death What's fascinating, if you continue to keep reading in Genesis 3, you'll notice that Adam and Eve took fig leaves to try and cover themselves. What's interesting is, why would they do that? Remember, they're naked, they're ashamed, everything's good. But they took fig leaves to try and cover themselves. Now, we know that there was guilt. We know that they was sinful. We know all of that. And when God talks to them, God says something, who told you you were naked? And I think that this is a picture of a glimpse of ultimately what we try to do. We are just like Adam and Eve in the sense we try to cover ourselves. It may not be with fig leaves, 
It may be with lying. It may be with some other things. When we sin and we want to run away from God, we tend to cover ourselves in a way that is insufficient. And I love Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, where it talks about how it says, God clothed them. And if you read that more, you will see that essentially God is saying, your covering is insufficient. Your covering is insufficient. Your covering doesn't work. In other words, you can't do anything to cover what you have done. In fact, God has to be the one to cover. In some sense, this is a foreshadowing of what we see in the gospel. This is a foreshadowing of what we see with the good news of Jesus, that God's grace and mercy and his covering comes through his own initiative. We all need the covering of God. And that's why Psalm 32 says, Bless is the one whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. Our sin is not covered by what we do. Our sin is covered by what God has done in Christ Jesus to save and redeem a particular people for his own possession. And anyone that cries out to God and acknowledge their sin before him, they shall be saved. This is the message of the gospel. This is the message that we hold on to. This is the message that, only, that not, not only saves, but this is the message that sustains us. And as we come to confess our sin, there's free forgiveness at the cross. And the church said, amen. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your blessing. That We praise you for your confessions that we are able to make. We praise you for your forgiveness. And we know that forgiveness is ultimately bound up in you. I pray for anyone here right now, Lord, that needs your forgiveness, that needs your grace. I pray that they can confess (laughs) their sin before you. Not that they're perfect, Lord. Not that they won't ever mess up again but that your covering is the covering that they need through your death, burial, and resurrection. I pray all this in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Amen.